What's up, my manners of intelligence and consciousness? I'm Rick Brooks, and this is Rick's Mind. Today with me, I have Jay Wellick, who is a seismologist for the USAID and the USGS. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So there's a lot to talk about. And, you know, I'm not an expert by any means of volcanology, but the, one of the main reasons I brought you on the show was there was recently an eruption in Tonga. And I was wondering, like, were, does this something that you guys saw coming or, um, you know, I don't know a lot about it. I, I just kind of in passing saw it and I was like, we got to find someone. And, and um, so I was, I was hoping you, you could kind of maybe walk us into what was going on there and, and um, just give us your perspective on it as an expert. Uh, yeah. Um, so the scale of the eruption that ended up happening in Tonga was not something that we saw coming or forecasts um, per se. There had been some activity in that area that appeared related to uh, submarine volcanoes. Um, but there are a lot of things that are always on our radar as uh, anomalous activity at volcanoes and, and not everything ends up manifesting in a large eruption like this. Um, the Tonga region at that time w is, was not very well monitored. I think the closest seismometers were something like 400 kilometers away. Um, so that makes it really difficult to detect any sort of precursory size, seismicity that you would normally see at a volcano well monitored like Mount St. Helens or Mount Hood or something like that. Okay. All right. And 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 if I'm not mistaken, isn't Mount St. Helens like the most monitored volcano on the planet? Um Mount St. Helens is is very well monitored. I don't know if it is the the most the most well monitored. Uh, some of the volcanoes in Italy are are pretty well monitored. Uh, the volcanoes in Japan are very well monitored. Japan's seismic monitoring across the entire country is phenomenal. Yeah. That's like the gold standard of seismic monitoring, actually. Really, they got they just got hit with the tsunami not that long ago again, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't remember how how big it ended up being, but there was a tsunami there recently. Yeah, John will find that. Um, and why? Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a good question. Why do they always? I mean, other than it being an island chain, right? But why are they always getting hammered? Is there a lot of seismic uh, activity that's going on? I'm very ignorant to this. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So there's a subducting. The the Pacific Ocean is subducting underneath uh underneath the island chain of japan and, and that's what ultimately gives rise to the volcanoes and you know that the island of japan itself uh but all the slip on that subduction zone all those earthquakes that happen underwater under the ocean that displaces a large amount of water and that's what gives rise to you know those tsunamis not a good place to live at all, <laughs> they're they're always getting hammered by by uh, earthquakes, and so you you mean you're you're paying attention to. There's a lot of factors. I'm assuming. I, you know, what? I think we're getting a little bit too. What? Oh, go ahead, John. Um. So everything that I can find is on the 16th 
of March, there was a 7.4 magnitude earthquake uh, off the coast of Fukushima, uh, 60 kilometers down uh, around midnight, and four people died and about 100 were injured, and there was a level two tsunami warning issued, but I can't find anything about like an actual tsunami being reported okay mm. so i made it up damn it uh I, so so jay i think we're getting a little too, I'm, I'm excited so i'm getting a little bit too ahead i think a good place yeah. to start let's just redo this right walk us through what seismology is and and so but before before you do that um tell tell the people how you got interested in geology and kind of a little bit of background about yourself, and then let us know what seismology is, because there's a lot of people I feel like that don't know what seismology is, and I don't even know if I have the best understanding of it. Yeah, so I guess just background on myself and how I got into geology. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, you know, in the suburbs, um, you know, well, not not the suburbs, actually, in the city, and uh, very urban environment, and you know, my whole upbringing, um, at least in terms of education, you know, it's all like, you know, business oriented, like all the adults I knew were all in like business and accounting and everything like that. Um, but I always loved being outdoors and my extended family all lived in the country. And, uh, you know, that exposed me to a lot of beautiful places across the country. And when I got to college, I had no idea that you could study something like geology, that you could get a degree in geology. And, uh, when I, when I realized that when I got to college, I was like, Oh, I like, I'm, I'm in, like, I, I don't, I wasn't thinking about like jobs or anything. I was just like, this is, this is what I want to do in college. And then after a couple of years of that, you know, then I was started thinking like, all right, well, um, how, how am I going to, what am I actually going to do with this degree? Because, it, uh, you know, the best way to get a job with a geology major at a college is to go work for an oil industry. And I didn't really want to do that. Um, so that, you know, the, the other options are, you know, working in disaster relief. Um, so I decided that that route was of more interest to me. And there was a graduate school program at Michigan Technological University at the time that uh, combines Peace Corps service with uh, a geolo- with a master's in geology. So I ended up joining that program, and I ended up living in Indonesia for two years, working at a small volcano observatory uh, at a volcano in Indonesia as a part of my master's, uh, and then uh, ended up getting this job at the U.S. Geological Survey's Volcano Disaster Assistance Program, which is like the international wing of the USGS, that it's like a liaison between uh, domestic observatories and foreign observatories. Um, and then, you know, and, and then my specific role uh, with VDAP is as a seismologist, uh, a volcano seismologist. Um, so seismology is uh, the study of ground vibrations, uh, most basically. Um, so normally, you know, you hear of earthquakes happening, and that's basically just rock breaking under the ground or two plates uh, moving against each other. And if the earthquake's large enough, those vibrations can be felt across, um, you know, across the globe. 
Um, and at volcanoes, uh, the, you know, the same process happens you know, on, on a little bit smaller scale. There, there's rock breaking as magma moves uh, from the mantle up to the surface. Um, and then just as magma moves through those conduits after the rock is actually broken, that produces vibrations as well. And, and monitoring all that seismicity is, uh, it, it's the primary way, uh, that we monitor volcanoes and assess their level of activity and how close they are to erupting. Okay. And uh, from, the geology class classes I took way, way back in the day, I would always assume. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, you're monitoring the vibrations of rock and I'm, 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 I'm going back in time. I'm thinking of lava flowing, pooling, and then creating uh, pressure with gases where, and then when the pressure gets too, the pressure gets too much pop goes weasel, correct? Like that's the basic, very elementary understanding of the eruption that I have. How, how far? Yeah. Am I that, spot on? Yeah, that's a pretty that. good, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good understanding of, of what's happening. Um, you know, a, a lot of different variables come into play and a, and a, a lot of different scenarios could play out, but that's like a, yeah, that's a pretty good first, um, you know, interpretation or uh, a first assumption of, of what is happening underneath a volcano. Shout out to Geology 101. Still got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's, and there's different types of uh, eruption. There's, there's yeah. a viscous eruption and that's going to, oh man, I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally bullshitting right now. That That's going to have <laughs> lava. Uh, and then there's um, a gaseous one and that could uh, spew out poisonous gases. How, am I, am I off? Am I, am I on? Am I, am I on the green here? Yeah, I, I think you're on the green. Um, so, you know, major contributing factors towards what type of eruption ends up uh, happening uh, and how big that eruption is, is, you know, how much magma is, is coming up towards the surface and, and what's the gas content of that magma and how much pressure is built up in that system. And uh, some volcanoes, um, depending on the chemistry of the magma and how easily gas is able to get out, uh, it might, you know, result in a very, uh, if a lot of gas is able to get out and if there isn't a lot of gas in there in the first place, then it will come out very viscous and might just produce lava flows. But if there's a a high amount of gas pressure and it's the gas isn't able to escape, it's building up a lot of pressure, uh, and then is, you know, able to produce a much more explosive eruption. Yeah. I just, there was some type of explosion that's like, that had to do with gas is just absolutely terrible. And you do not want that because it's just, it's a giant cloud of poison that pretty much kills everything. And and I do not remember, but I remember filing that away and I could be making this up too, but I remember filing that away in my brain and be like, man, I hope that never happens. Right. And what, (laughs) what is that called? Or am I just totally bullshitting? Um, like, are you thinking of a specific type of gas or, uh, I'm going to go because I wouldn't, Maybe a specific type of gas. Um, I, I just, I don't know if I'm imagining this, imagining learning this, or is it, this is actually something that is something to worry about. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no specific type of gas necessarily. Okay. Um, but I think the general 
you know, concept of higher gas content and higher gas pressure uh, being something that results in a larger eruption is, is, is maybe what you're remembering. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's very difficult to assess, uh, you know, what the state of a particular volcano's gas content and gas pressure is, uh, you know, in real time, but, uh, looking at the volcano's previous eruptions throughout the geologic record is, is, uh, usually the best indication of like the range of possible activity that might happen next time. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's this that's that's helpful. I mean, John is here because I misremember a lot of things and and it's good <laughs> to have an expert to 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 let you know your mis- what's up, John? Are you thinking of like like volcanian and like strombolian type eruptions like the different types of eruptions i think it may, may have had something to do with it dude this like, has been like, like 10 hawaiian 10 years ago probably yeah like me trying to dig this that's, up on that's Geo. my best guess to what he's talking about i could so. be, i'm mm. going to, thank you john thank you mm. um <clears throat> the i the one thing that i've found fascinating about like volcanoes is their ability to uh they don't happen very often, but they can have massive impacts on our life. Like let's say the, the caldera that is, that resides in Yellowstone that, that erupts every 200,000 years, I believe. Uh, and we're due. If that goes boom, we will experience like another ice age potentially because of all the debris that it would throw up into the atmosphere. I just think that things like that are, are fascinating. If you look through the historical record, there have been several uh, eruptions that have been responsible for global cooling and, you know, um, a massive die off of animals. Like, I just think that that, that shit is, is fascinating. Are there any, I mean, uh, in the caldera, I know, I think I read something not that long ago that there was a, a, a slight elevation in activity during the, the, the time of COVID. Uh, again, I could be misremembering this, but I was kind of wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, first of all, like no doubt if, if Yellowstone or, or some similar volcano uh, did produce, um, you know, one of its you know, infamous, infamous type of eruptions, it, it would shape humanity. Um, definitely. But, um, you know, I think the likelihood of that happening is very small and we don't really like to talk about like volcanoes being due necessarily. Um, but then in terms of, um, uh, you know, activity at, um, at Yellowstone, uh, there, there have been, there were increases in, and thermal thermal anomalies and maybe even a few earthquake swarms in the past couple of years. Um, but that stuff is all like par for the course for Yellowstone, you know, that the, the old remnants of the Yellowstone caldera is, is still an active volcano and there's still magma, um, underneath the surface there. Um, but this is a caldera that's, uh, you know, like tens of kilometers, uh, in diameter and, there's a lot of water there and that water is hot and those fluids that move around, um, you know, as, as they're boiling or, or getting pushed around by different pressures, um, you know, that all produces like the same types of seismicity that, you know, you might see if there's magma, um, 
you know, but we know that, you know, because it's like very shallow and close to the surface that this isn't a sign necessarily of a large, uh, reactivation of, of the entire magmatic system. Okay. So that, that's not something that you guys are super worried about is the, the that caldera going boom. Like it's, that's sort of, um, like, do you guys have like a rating system for how probable, um, or the, the likelihood of, uh, the different threats around the world? And, and, and if so, what would that be? Could you let us in on the secret? Yeah, uh, actually, and you know, it's not a secret. Um, and I don't have, uh, I don't have this specific ratings or, or numbers in front of me and they're not off the top of my head, but, um, you and your listeners that you can check out the national volcano early warning system and views, um, it was, it's a piece of legislation that was recently um, uh, passed by Congress uh, and is just starting to get funding now. Uh, but the whole concept be t- uh, behind NVUs is that the U.S. Geological Survey uh, is making like a systematic uh, you know, analysis of what is the probability that each particular volcano in the United States might erupt uh, how impactful would that eruption be? Uh, how much monitoring do we have now uh, versus how much monitoring do we need? Uh, and all that sort of all that stuff goes into this, uh, you know, threat score um, for the different volcanoes. Um, and and I, I don't actually know how Yellowstone uh, ends up ranking in that threat score, but you know that would be something uh, you guys could go go look at and. And that this whole concept of, you know, these like threat scores, that's something that, you know, we, the the people at our office have talked about for a long time and it's now finally starting to get uh, formalized. Um, But it's also uh, the the first step that we do with any of our foreign um, observatory partners. So like the team that I work on, we work with observatory the observatory in colombia and indonesia and the philippines and all these foreign countries and and we donate a lot of equipment to them and and help work on projects and before we ever start the first thing we do um we call it uh, a taga analysis a uh, a threat assessment and gap analysis so we ask the observatory to look at each volcano systematically like what is the actual threat for these volcanoes and how much monitoring are we actually missing um, so that we can, you know, uh, target our efforts better. Yeah. You want to make, and, and what type of like, what are the types of equipment that you're using to monitor these, uh, like the seismology, the, the, the ground vibration? What is, what does it look like? Is it, uh, for some reason I get, like I picture someone sticking a bunch of probes in the ground. I could be <laughs> way off base, but yeah, what, what's that look like? Um, the equipment that I wish I had one, uh, right here, I could show you, um, the equipment that we generally use, uh, it's called a broadband seismometer and it, it means it can, it can, um, you know, reliably record, uh, ground vibrations anywhere between like, uh, 0.1 Hertz, uh, up to like 50 Hertz. Um, and what it looks like, it's it's a metal cylinder uh, that's you know maybe about like the size of your head, 
Um, and it's, they weigh maybe like 10 to 15, maybe 20 pounds. Um, and they, they have, they basically have three springs in them. One that is vertical and then two that are horizontal, uh, that are perpendicular to each other. So with one of those seismometers, you can record three directions of ground movement and you can get like the full motion of the earth as an earthquake wave, uh, travels past it. Um, so that, that's what we, that's like the standard sort of instrument that's used for monitoring across the world for permanent installs. Um, but sometimes for temporary installs, uh, these seismometers are much smaller and, uh, they, they just have these three metal stakes that, and you do, you just go stick them in the ground okay. uh, for a couple months and then, and then you come pick them up. <laughs> All right. It's, it's not the highest quality data, but, uh, for a temporary deployment, it's good enough. Yeah. And, in what kind of cases would you go out and, and deploy those? Would it be like the, like in the, the uplift in the sisters region is that where you would go out and deploy the the temporary ones be like hey the ground is raising some weird shit's going on let's go ahead and mod is that is that a pretty good scenario yeah that's one potential scenario um like like new activity Mm -hmm. um uh you know um, yeah new activity would be a scenario where we would go install temporary stations uh we're not we're not doing that at Sisters right now. I, I, I don't know the reasons exactly, um, but another reason would be uh, planning. So at Mount Rainier, for example, uh, in the next five years, they're hoping to augment that seismic network around Mount Rainier with the specific purpose of detecting uh, debris flows um, uh, that seasonally come off of the glaciers and you know sweep down through the park. So, uh, it's tricky to know where the best place to put, uh, a seismometer is. And, and these things are expensive and it requires a lot of time and effort to install. So these past two summers, um, we've just been going out along the drainages and just sticking these things in the ground for, you know, a couple months at a time and figuring out like, all right, like what, where are the best places, um, to install these things. Um, but another thing, uh, you can look up in terms of temporary deployment are these, uh, things that we call, uh, spider deployments, um, that we build at our offices and, and we don't use them that often, uh, because they're tricky to, to handle. But during the 2004 eruption at Mount St. Helens, uh, the, these are seismometers that just like sit on this like, um, tripod and you, uh, they actually just like sling these things out on a helicopter and like drop them down on the volcano. What? And, and those things are set up to actually transmit the data back via radio or satellite. Uh, and they're, they're not meant to last a long time. That's definitely a scenario where it's like this volcano is very remote. It's newly active and we want more equipment. So there, there are a couple different strategies. I'm going to check this out. John just said, Oh, oh yeah. You just drop, oh, it's got a weight on it too. You just drop that down and that's interesting. No, it's not. I mean, you got to land it. Like you can't just drop it from the air. I was, I was imagining uh, (laughs) that you're just throwing it out as like this thing's about to both. We need to record the data. You know, (laughs) that's what I was imagining. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. John, put all this stuff in the, the show notes. Good, sir. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, I find I, I just it's kind of weird to think, right? You know, we're sitting on a planet that's moving like 2200 miles an hour, you know, around the sun, around this, this living spaceship. And underneath us, right? Like, we've got mycelium and, you know, a bunch of or- microorganisms w- within our soil. And then underneath that, you've got tectonic plates that are constantly moving and rubbing up against each other. And through there, you've got water, you've got lava moving, you've got all sorts of, it's, it's just interesting to think that there's really nothing that is ever standing still on this planet. It's, it's a very dynamic planet. It's a very dynamic, and you, you have, you know, Hawaii's still the the island chain of Hawaii continues to grow and expand. You have these giant lava flows that are barren, and all of a sudden, like there's little little bits of like pl- plants starting to grow on it, and animals starting to colonize. Like it's just when you sit down and think about it's kind of how amazing the the natural world is. Um, I don't know talking about geology again this is not a subject that i i talk about it's it's quite amazing and how violent it is and how much it also is Mm -hmm. responsible for creating and changing different landscapes it's Mm -hmm. uh it's like this gangster in the room that doesn't talk that much and then all of a sudden like boom he explodes (laughs) and, and yet at the same time uh you know volcanoes uh are what uh, you know, produces our atmosphere. Uh, the minerals and volcanic eruptions are what makes ground fertile yeah. also. So that's uh, right. Cause we think of like know, culturally a- it, it has this, uh, you know, dual, uh, you know, dual place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's true. Ash is very, very, what, what is, uh, what is the, um, element in it that makes things fertile? Like there's, Oh, calcium gosh. or do i know we're we're way over my skis right now oh john maybe silica <laughs> i don't think it's silica man i mean there's a ton of silica is like the primary uh element in um in volcanic products mm-hmm. um i i i don't know about the agricultural part I, I don't uh i don't know what um makes it conducive for growing things but I mean, there's just like tons of minerals, like silica, magnesium, iron, yeah. uh, calcium, um, potassium. I mean, all all of those are are major elements in volcanic rock. Yeah, yeah, we've got. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty. It's pretty awesome. I uh, <laughs> I are there any any volcanoes that currently that you guys are worried about mm, in the united states we're gonna go um, yeah we'll go america first and then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll expand the search uh there are no volcanoes in um in the lower 48 united states right now that are uh anomalous anomalously active um uh one thing that a lot of people might not realize is that there are always volcanoes erupting in alaska uh along the aleutian chain 
um, there, there are, there are, every day there's a volcano erupting in Alaska. Uh, there generally isn't any population around those volcanoes. So, um, you know, you don't hear about it and it's maybe not a huge hazard uh, or an everyday hazard, uh, but they are monitored very closely because outside of COVID times, at least uh, there's a ton of air traffic that goes over those volcanoes. So, so the Alaska volcano has a big responsibility for that. And they're, they're always worried about particular volcanoes. Um, yeah. So what, like in the Aleutian now, is this, this isn't like an, uh, an underwater volcano. This is like a legitimate, oh, no. John, I'm going to need to see these are, this, pull this up, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these are all above land. Um, you know, Google search, uh, uh, Google search readout volcano and, uh, look at the eruption in 1989. Um, Readout is a volcano that's actually pretty close to Anchorage, and yeah, that caused a giant a, tsunami, right? Uh, I don't know about that. I don't think so. There, there was a there was a tsunami in the seventies in Anchorage. That's, um, but that was not related to volcanoes. That might yeah. be what I'm thinking of. That is, yeah, that is wild. Yeah. I'm just I'm looking. So there's there is an eruption every single day on the in the Aleutian. How many? There's not, mm-hmm. there's not, I just I mean a lot of these a lot of these eruptions are are small, um, but but they're erupting. Like like and, uh, and if go ahead if they were erupting in uh, uh, you know in the cascades it would be a big deal uh, they're big enough that it would be a big deal if they were you know in our backyard mm-hmm. now is this like are they, is this like hawaii style eruptions or like a, a notch above that uh no these are these are generally explosive eruptions uh putting ash into the air um there, there's lava also um what uh, extruding out. Yeah. Like look at, uh, like the volcanoes that are active right now are Pavlov volcano. Um, mm-hmm. that one I think is actively pushing out a lava flow, um, that's, you know, going down like these steep flanks, uh, and it's occasionally got these small explosions. Um, uh, Cleveland volcano is like pushing out this lava dome right now. What this is fucking mind blowing, <laughs> dude. I had no idea. I, I know, yeah. John, did you know this? I knew that the Aleutians were very active. I didn't realize like daily active, but I knew that there were there was what there were three three that erupted like at the same time last summer, I think, or something uh, yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, there's always uh, there's always something going on in alaska there's always something there's the party the parties in alaska right now if you're a volcanologist you got to get up there that's yeah man i didn't so are we like we're watching because you always hear about hawaii but like the people in alaska why don't we get any love like our shit is dope it's popping off they're just (laughs) they're just doing little lava flows like that's boring are we we're we're, we're, (laughs) we're taping this and gathering a bunch of data and stuff obviously Oh yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's all it's all being recorded. Um yeah, Alaska. Uh, well, so first of all, like all the all the observatories in the United States, there's one in Hawaii, there's one in uh Alaska, there's one here in the Cascades. 
Um, there's one in California for Mount Mammoth um, and Shasta and Lassen and uh, you know some other volcanic centers. And then there's you know, the Yellowstone one. And, and all of these volcano observatories work together. So uh, you know people in Alaska are helping out in Hawaii. People in Hawaii are helping out in Alaska. Things like that. Can you like, can you like switch locations? Like if you're like, all right, like I've done the Alaska thing. I want to check out Hawaii for a hot second, monitor this volcano. Can you do that? Um, it doesn't happen often, uh, just because, uh, you know, people have their, their lives and they, um, they don't often, you know, fully switch observatories, but, uh, it, it, people have always, um, you know, helped out and provided assistance. And, and actually, in like the last two years uh, during the pandemic, because the whole world's kind of gotten their act together in terms of working remotely, um, there's been a lot more interaction. Uh, so like every six weeks, like I'll do a rotation um, with the Alaska Volcano Observatory uh, as their duty seismologist, which just means I just check the data every morning and make sure that there isn't anything uh, unexpected that's happened. Because uh, there's like uh, how many mon- how many volcanoes do we monitor in Alaska? Like uh, like forty or something, and you know that's a lot to like go through every day and uh, and just make sure like all right like <laughs> nothing's erupting. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So do, why is the, why is the, is it just cause of the, is there a plate up there that's button, butting up against another plate? And is that what's causing all of these eruptions or what, what's going on up there? Why is it so, so, so happening? It's uh, it's similar to Japan. Okay. Uh, the Pacific or the Pacific uh, plate is subducting, um, you know, northward under, I'm not sure what the plate on the other side is called actually, but yeah, it's just another subduction zone. Um, subduction zones tend to produce volcanoes that are uh, very explosive. So that's why like in Japan, the Aleutians here in the Cascades uh, over in Indonesia and the Philippines, like all those uh, volcanoes tend to tend to be a lot more explosive than something like uh, Hawaii. Okay. What's up, John? Uh, so it's the Alaska is on the North American plate and it's subducting the Pacific plate is subducting underneath the North American plate. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you, Google and John. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, so the next most logical sketch place is going to be like Indonesia, correct? Cause it's of the same it's the same, yeah, the same things going on. There's a sub, it's a subduction zone. Yeah. I mean, uh, Indonesia and the Philippines, it's similar to the Aleutians. Uh, there's always, there's always volcanoes erupting there. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it makes it interesting. And that, that's why, uh, you know, our team, um, VDAP is, is, uh, such a useful team to have exist because, you know, like the Aleutians in Alaska, it's this very remote island chain with a ton of volcanoes. And even though it's in the United States and way up in the uh, the Arctic, um, you know, there's a lot of differences there between that and this like tropical island chain. But in a lot of ways, they're very similar. And like the challenges of monitoring volcanoes in those two places is very similar. And there's a lot of lessons to be learned uh, between those two observatories. And you know, that's where we try to help make those connections. Yeah. Cause I would imagine like getting people 
up into the Aleutians in the winter would be incredibly challenging. You're going to have equipment yeah. malfunctioning because of the cold and the snow and the wind. And then yeah. the, the same is going to be like maybe the weather's not as challenging to get people in, but it's going to be hell on your equipment because you're in the fucking jungle and there's monsoon yeah. season and there's, you know, you just... The, the plants are going to choke it out and it's just not going to be, or, or it'll be f- swept away by a flood. So I definitely, that would be very, very challenging to kind of stay on top yeah. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different, different environmental factors, but the same challenge that all this equipment has to be engineered and installed to last a long time. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Cause you don't, you don't want to have to like go back to all these places regularly. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. So the, the last big one, the last big eruption that we had that kind of put the world on notice was uh wasn't it, was it in Iceland that, that it was a massive ash cloud that grounded flights for several days. Was it, was it in, was it in Greenland or Iceland or I think it was, I'm going to say Iceland. Iceland. Are you talking about the one back in like 2000, was that 2010 to, or sometime between 2006 and, and 2010, like that long ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. In Iceland. Uh, I, I won't even try to pronounce the name of that volcano. Uh, John, go ahead. Yeah. I know, how to, I know how to pronounce this because I asked the geology professor the, from the class that I was telling you about. It's, okay. uh, if I remember correctly, it's Ayafalutnjokl. I have a lot in right. something, something along those lines. I have a lot in I just call it Aya. Yeah, that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot in Yoko when that one erupted. What's that? Uh-huh. What? How much data did we gleam from that? Was that pretty informative, or did that just kind of confirm what we already knew? Um, that volcano was was well monitored and the Icelandic Met Office uh, was on top of it and they always do a great job. Um, I don't remember specifically if there were key lessons learned about, um, you know, forecasting eruptions from that scenario, uh, mostly just because, uh, you know, so much of the emphasis um on that eruption was yeah just um like risk management and like like aviation hazard assessment mm-hmm. uh and you know that that's that's where the discussion from that eruption uh ends up going so often um but yeah uh the, the people in Iceland um you know studied that had that volcano monitored really well studied it really well and uh yeah do you think we'll ever get to a place where we can stop eruptions from happening? Like, I mean, we got to be a different no. type of civilization in order to do that. But it's something that, you know, in order to become a type one civilization, we have to learn how to do. But I don't even know. Is there any, like, is there any study at all on how you would go about stopping it? Um, I, not any, uh, not any studies that, you know, really hold merit. Um, occasionally you will hear about someone's idea. Um, but yeah, the reality is that it's, uh, it's not really a possibility. Um, so we just have to learn how to, uh, monitor them and forecast them better and, uh, you know, make 
public policy that is appropriate um, in terms of land use around those places. And it's a lot easier said than done, uh, of course. But. Yeah. How, how accurate is our forecasting for when things erupt? Is it like how close are we, you know, could, could you're not obviously going to be able to give an exact day and time, but how, you know, I mean, what's the window of like when you'd be able to determine when something is going to erupt? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that is like a active, um, focus of research right now. It's like one of the things that we're most interested in at the moment and, and have been for the last like five, 10 years, like, uh, determining exactly how how good are we at forecasting eruptions and what do we need to do to be better? Um, uh, we wrote a paper about our success forecasting eruptions in Alaska a couple years ago, and, and basically the result was that for volcanoes that are well monitored, um, and you know we define that. Like by meaning a specific number of stations um, that produce uh, explosive eruptions, we're pretty good at forecasting them. Uh, I don't remember the percentage, but you know, you know it's like eighty percent or, or higher. Uh, for volcanoes that aren't well monitored, can't really forecast them because you're not monitoring them. Um, and then for volcanoes that produce really small uh, eruptions. It's, it's, uh, we, we basically can't forecast those either. Uh, they're just, uh, the monitoring equipment just isn't, um, good enough to detect subtler signals for smaller eruptions. Um, so, so in Alaska for large, for larger eruptions at well-monitored volcanoes, we do pretty well. Um, so like, it's still challenging. When you say well, do you mean like you can predict the day that it's going to pop? No. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Just that it will erupt. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it is. Um, I think the, I don't remember if we used a specific time window in that paper uh for that study we were just assessing did we raise the uh like alert color code before it erupted um but now like in in real time generally like we're making a forecast for like the next 30 days or the next two weeks um like we'll say like we think there's a 70 percent chance this volcano will erupt in the next two weeks okay okay um, yeah, that that's usually like the time frame that we feel comfortable making uh, a statement on. All right. Do you yeah. are you guys using artificial intelligence to like parse through the data? Are there algorithms that are looking for different inconsistencies and stuff? Yeah, that's that's also another uh, active area of research. Uh, it is not operational. Um, uh, meaning that it's not like a standard tool yet that we use in the observatories, but, uh, you know, there are, um, researchers, um, 
some at USGS observatories and some at universities and in other places around the world that are, uh, you know, attempting to use machine learning algorithms to parse through seismic data, for example, and, um, that's, and that's make assessments, but it's, yeah, yeah. that's surprising because like there is definitely enough data that's been accumulated. It would need, you know, like, there's a, I would imagine there's a shit ton of data that's just sitting there. And if you have a, you know, machine learning algorithm that would be able to parse through it, it would be able to break that down and understand it. And we'd probably learn a lot more from all the data that we, we would collect it and would all get better. The USGS would be better for mm-hmm. it, I would assume. So it's a surprising that that hasn't been implemented as of yet. I don't know how to write any of this shit. So look at me. Well, it should have been done, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah. It's just, you th- you th- but the, I mean, yeah. go ahead. Uh, the, so there are a couple challenges. Um, one, the, the primary challenge is that uh, the, the volcano sciences are, are actually uh, considered data poor. Um, yeah. So, and, and the reason for that or why it's described that way it's not because we don't have a lot of data. Uh, I mean, we're recording a, a ton of data at all of these volcanoes, but um, you know, these networks have only come online recently. We've only been doing that recently, relatively speaking, you mm-hmm. know, last like 20, 30 years, depending on, you know, which volcano you're talking about and in Hawaii, it goes back really far, but um, uh, oh, there's a ton of, for the number of eruptions that have happened, very few of them, like in the geologic record, for example, very few of them have been recorded. Um, so for example, like, uh, back in 2017, our team went to Indonesia to respond to an eruption at Agung, uh, this volcano on Bali. And it had produced this devastating eruption back in 1967. Mm -hmm. And, that there were a series of earthquakes that happened before that eruption, but they weren't recorded geophysically. We just know that they happened because people felt them. Oh, um, so when the seismic, when the modern seismic network started recording earthquakes there in 2017, you know, it was very alarming to people. Uh, but there's just no way you can, um, there's no way you can, really throw that into a machine learning algorithm when one set of data is, is what people recorded and, you know, timing and size and location, that stuff is imprecise compared to like, you know, what we have now it, it is, you know, we, we had the time, we had the location, um, things like that. So Shit. yeah, it's actually like, if you want to combine like, like the seismology with the number of eruptions, it ends up actually being like pretty data poor. I know, because I'm, now I'm trying to think, you know, you can't just throw away that data that you collected when you were there and interviewing people and stuff. Like, that's all still very valid and relevant. But oh, yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, you have to have that. But at the same time, like, I don't, yeah. So are they trying to create these algorithms and AI around integrating both data sets is that what they're trying to figure mm-hmm. out right now? 
you know, the, the, the interviews or the collection of stories and whatnot, or, you know, and as well as uh, the data that you were able to, to collect with your seismology equipment? Uh, no. So, so actually yeah. like the AI stuff that's going on in volcanology right now is, is actually kind of completely different. Um, it, it's actually not that there's no AI research that I know of going on in volcanology that's actually trying to uh, assess the probability of eruption. Like the, the efforts that are going on now are essentially trying to uh, like basically parse through the seismic data and um and analyze it the same, like analyze it the same way that a human would now. So right now, if a volcano is active, it would be my job to look at that and say, okay, like these are the types of earthquakes that are occurring. Uh, this is how big they are. You know, this is what they like, the, basically like what kind of earthquakes are happening in what order. And that's a, it's a very time consuming, um, uh, laborious process or it can be mm-hmm. uh, so, so the the main AI efforts that are, that are happening right now are more like signal processing like like um, you know how can we apply machine learning to just do that automatically so that now we just now we have that information that we then can like make assessments based off of yes making it more efficient and able to pivot and make this okay yeah that makes sense yeah. that makes sense that's well I'm I'm glad that that's uh being researched, it's it's good. We all forget about the natural world, you know. We're always so so scared of uh, who's invading who and what virus is going <laughs> on and this and that. When when really, like this is, I mean, it's kind of sh- there's nothing we could do if there's a major eruption other than to just flee. But you know, another <laughs> area that always like another thing that always like trips me out is. If a media, we don't really try and detect, we don't watch our skies at all. And if a giant asteroid were to come on a collision course with Earth, I don't really know if there's anything that we could do about it. Like we haven't spent any money on like trying to pay attention to that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Um, Isn't there like, wasn't there just some... Uh, experiment uh, conducted to try to deflect a, an asteroid. Oh, dude, I hope so. John, pull that up. I hope so. I hope so. I don't remember what the details were. Like, uh, I don't remember if it was an asteroid that was even earthbound. I mean, if it was, it was obviously uh, going to be fairly small. He oh, looks like he found something. Yeah, in, uh, it was in... It, so it hasn't happened yet. In oh, okay. September, they're doing it's it's two spacecraft, the Dart Impactor and the Lucia Cube, that it's going to deliberately crash into the minor planet moon uh, Dimorphos of the double asteroid Dimos to assess the future potential of a spacecraft impact to deflect. So I think they're getting ready to do it in like six months. Okay. Wait, yeah. what? This isn't even in our. This, this isn't what I'm confused. It's a, so it's it's in the it's a, it's an <clears throat> a, like a dual asteroid like that like rotates around itself mm-hmm. in the asteroid belt. So it's like technically mm-hmm. a minor planet. Okay, then we're trying. They're going to try to deflect one of them with a with an air with a inbound 
aircraft essentially is that i believe so yeah yeah who's doing uh, well. keep looking into it and see if i can figure it out like if there's yeah, any Rick, you need to get that guy on your podcast oh, he's yeah. coming oh, yeah. on oh, he's person. coming on i'm confused so we're i just want to make sure that i'm we're fucking launching someone into space to take this <laughs> not, thing not, out. not people like just a just like a probe Oh, that's man! I was hoping it was gonna be a person. Like, that well, you think you're gonna say Bruce Willis just on a suicide <laughs> mission? <Come on. laughs> Give me Bruce and Ben. <laughs> yeah, or Will Smith. No. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, the, uh, yeah, we gotta, yeah, pull that up, put that in the the little notes. We'll we'll do some outreach, but uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> This is uh, I, I've learned a lot uh, on this show. I did I had no idea the activity that was going on in Alaska. I think it's awesome and a little terrifying all at the same time. Uh, and you know, it's it's good to it, it's really good to sit down and talk about these things. And do you guys monitor underwater volcanoes as well? Uh, no. Um... There might be some ocean bottom seismometers off of Hawaii. Uh, there was Bogoslav volcano in Alaska. Um, it, there is kind of an island around it, but most of the eruption happened underwater. Um, so that's another example. Uh, but monitoring underwater volcanoes is is a huge challenge, um, and unfortunately, we don't we don't have that problem in the United States really. Um, uh, but yeah, our partners in Indonesia, actually they're, uh, they're like trying to get a much better grasp of that right now. So hopefully they'll be leading the way on that sort of thing. That's pretty cool. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, Do you have anything you want to plug? Now is the time, Jay. Oh man. Anything I want to plug. Um, yeah, just check out, uh, USG, uh, USGS volcanoes on Twitter. They've always got very, um, insightful, uh, and informative, uh, posts on there. Uh, you know, people from the public can ask any question they want. Um, and someone, some, someone from the USGS will, uh, will give a sincere uh, and, and thoughtful answer. So you can really learn a lot uh, through that uh, Twitter handle. And of course, if there's any activity uh, uh, that people need to be worried about, um, you know, that's really, that's where you will hear about it also. Right on. They have an Instagram as well. Uh, I don't know if they have an Instagram. They might. They probably do. All right. Well, they probably do. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. You're you're now the, a friend of the show. So anytime a volcano <laughs> erupts, we're bringing you back on. You're going to have to yeah. soothe the people, soothe our fears, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. All right. Peace. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah.